Good morning. Thank you for being here today. It's a beautiful day. We thank you for your presence. If you're visiting, we always want you to know that you are an honored guest. We're grateful that you've chosen to come today. We hope and pray that our time together will benefit you. We're certainly grateful for this coming week, Thanksgiving, and hopefully and prayerfully if you are spending time with family and friends that you will have a great, great holiday season that you will enjoy being with your family and your friends. And if you're traveling, please be safe. We're going to be looking today at 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 10. And we're going to be talking in our lesson today about how salvation is exclusive to Christ and His church. We live in a changing world, as you well know. And the idea of there being exclusive, absolute truth is lost on many people. There are a lot of folks today that in their heart of hearts, their goal is to be what we would call politically correct. And so there are no absolute truths. We can't be dogmatic when it comes to matters of religion or Matters that pertain to faith and practice. What I want to do in our lesson today is go back and look at the Old Testament for a minute. And then to look to the New Testament by way of application. I don't want to look at some Old Testament illustrations. But I think will help us as we contemplate the one and only place of salvation. In our study today, I want to just ask this question. Is there a precedence in Scripture where salvation has been confined to one exclusive place? Now let that sink in for a minute or two. Can you think of any example in the Old Testament where salvation was exclusive to one single solitary place? You remember in Genesis chapter 6, Moses said that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. God decreed in the long ago that He would destroy the world by means of a flood. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That Noah was a just man, blameless in his generation. And God said to that patriarch many, many years ago, The end of all flesh has come before me. I will destroy a man whom I have created. And so God, in His graciousness, instructed Noah in the long ago to build an ark of gopher wood, setting forth the dimensions of that ark. It was to be 450 feet in length, 75 feet in width, 45 feet in height. And the Bible tells us that Noah complied with the instructions given. In verse 22 of Genesis 6, the Bible says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. You remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible provides a commentary on the actions of Noah and the salvation that he enjoyed. The Hebrew writer said, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. 
Now, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us that Noah built an ark when the long-suffering of God waited. And you remember Peter in his commentary on that event said, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Question. Did you have to be in the ark in the days of Noah to be saved? Was there one single solitary place where salvation was to be enjoyed? The answer is in the affirmative. Yes. You remember in the book of Exodus in chapter 12, God's people were in Egyptian bondage. They had been there for 400 years. God had spoken to Abraham in the long ago that at some point they would come forth. You can go back and read Genesis chapter 15. God called upon Moses and Aaron. Moses, of course, being the leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. Moses had the charge to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh. And they presented a series of miracles or plagues. Those plagues were designed to confirm the word that Moses and Aaron shared with Pharaoh. And that is that the God of heaven is speaking. And the God of heaven is saying, let my people go. And so in Exodus chapter 12, God instituted the Passover. That tenth and final plague would ultimately serve as the catalyst for God's people leaving Egyptian bondage. In verse 7, though, Moses said something that was very important. He said to understand that the Lord has made a difference between Israel and the Egyptians. And so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12 that God instituted that great Passover feast. Instructions were given that they were to take a lamb and to slay that spotless lamb. They were to take the lamb on the first day of the month, or rather the first month, the tenth day. On the fourteenth day, that lamb was to be slain at twilight. They were, to, they were instructed to take the blood of that lamb to strike the two doorposts and the lintel. And God said in the long ago that, He said, when I see the blood, I will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses. In Exodus chapter 12, God said that He would pass through the land in that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, he said, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. But he said, the blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are. Now listen to him. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The Bible goes on to say, at midnight, the Lord struck all the land of Egypt. He struck all the firstborn 
in the land of Egypt. From Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the livestock, all the firstborn of the livestock. The text tells us that Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all of his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, and there was not a house where there was not one dead. Question. Did you have to be in the designated place to be saved when God sent the destroyer through the land of Egypt? Was it necessary to be in the house where the blood had been applied to the, to the two doorposts and to the lentil. You know the answer to that. And the answer is yes. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we read about a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman was a captain, a mighty man of valor, an honorable man, serving the king of Syria. The Bible says that Naaman was a leper. Naaman had the opportunity to stand in the presence of the great prophet who would heal him. Or actually, he had the opportunity to be instructed by the prophet. And so in 2 Kings chapter 5, the Bible tells us that Naaman, with his horses and chariots, stood at the door of the house of the great prophet Elisha. And the Bible tells us that Elisha the prophet sent a messenger to him. And he said, go and wash in the Jordan. And he said, your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But the Bible tells us that Naaman became angry. And he said, behold, I thought that this man of God would come out, speak to the God or to the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and heal me of my leprosy. He went on to say, Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? You remember the Bible tells us that there were some servants of Naaman. And they said, my father, if the prophet had told you to go do some great thing, would you not have done it? And now he's saying to you, go wash and be clean. And the Bible says that Naaman went and dipped seven times in the river Jordan, listen to him, according to the saying of the man of God. And what happened? His flesh was restored like that of a little child, and he was clean. Now, there are a couple of thoughts here. Number one, Naaman said, Behold, I thought. When it comes to salvation, sometimes the problem, what gets in our way is we do too much thinking outside the realm of what the Bible says. Did you take note of what the record said in 2 Kings chapter 5? That when he went and washed in the river Jordan, 
He did so at the compliance or at the saying of the man of God. Now, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? And hearing by the Word of God. So you have three instances in the Old Testament. Salvation exclusive in Noah's day to the ark. In the days of the children of Israel in Egyptian bondage. Salvation exclusive to the houses where the blood was. And then with regard to Naaman, the only way that Naaman could have been cleansed of his leprosy was to wash in the Jordan. There was not another river that would have cleansed him of his leprosy. He had to do exactly what God said. So what then is the New Testament application? We live in a world today when there are a lot of folks that are just not willing to say unequivocally or in an absolute sense that Jesus is the only source of salvation. There was a fellow some years back, if I were to call his name, you would know him. A very well-known preacher in this country. He was on Larry King on one occasion on his show. He was asked about salvation in Christ, and if I remember correctly, it had to do with those who were of the Muslim persuasion. His response was, Larry, I'm not in the judging business. Well, neither am I. But I can tell you what the Bible says. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Are you saying then that there is only one source of salvation? Would you say that's what Jesus said? When Jesus said, I am the way, is there any other way? When He said, I am the truth, is there any other truth? And He is the embodiment of divine truth. When he said, I am the life, is there any other way to access life outside the boundaries of Jesus Christ? The apostles believed that salvation was exclusive to Jesus, didn't they? Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what the apostles said. And you remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says that those who obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is it that regulates the behavior of the church today? It's the apostles' doctrine, isn't it? So you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now there are a lot of people in the religious world if I were to say that Jesus is the only source of salvation, they would concur. There are a lot of people that would say, okay, I believe that. I'm on board with that. The problem, however, comes into play when we talk about how to get into Christ. Now, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, 
Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. All right, Paul, where then is salvation? It's in Christ. It's the only place. The Bible is very emphatic about that. Absolute, we might say. Dogmatic. Salvation is exclusive to Christ, and it is only in Christ. Well, how do I get into Christ? Now, I know what the world says, but I'm not interested in what the world says. What I want to know is what does the Word say? What does the Word of God say? Again, we're talking about the absolute truth of Almighty God. Can I know the truth? To listen to some, they would tell you you can't really know truth. You can't really understand divine truth without someone who will help to interpret it. I don't believe that. No, Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Paul believed that people could understand truth. Paul said that he received revelation from God. He took that revelation, wrote it down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Can I understand what God wants me to do? Yes, I can. God's Word is not intended to be difficult for us to comprehend. Matter of fact, it's in some ways, elementary. As easy as ABC or 1, 2, 3. Well, how do I get into Christ? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to guess as to how we get into Christ. No, in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. All right, here's a question. Why are we baptized into the death of Christ? Let me answer that for you. Because we've got to contact the blood of Christ. Jesus shed His blood in death. John 19, 34 and 35. What is it then that washes away my sins? You know, Paul, in recounting his conversion to Christ, said that he was given divine instructions so that he might enjoy the washing away of his sins. The blood of Christ is what does that. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus celebrated the, the Passover, He said, This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of your sins. So if I'm going to enjoy the benefits and blessings of salvation, I've got to contact the blood. Therefore, I've got to go where the blood was shed. It was shed in death. That's why Paul said, all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. When I obey the gospel of Christ, I contact that cleansing blood that washes away all of my sins. Well, how do I do that? I'm baptized into Christ. I am immersed in water. Paul said, we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So where is salvation? It's in Christ. Well, how do I get into Christ? I'm baptized into Christ. Baptism preceded by belief in, faith in Jesus as the Son of God. 
a willingness on my part to repent, to turn from a life of sin. On Pentecost Day, the Apostle Peter instructed those present who had been convicted of sin, of the death of Jesus, to repent. And then to confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10. But I don't enjoy the full benefits and blessings of His blood until I go where it was shed. That's in baptism. So when I'm baptized into Christ, I then contact the blood of Christ. So number one, salvation is where? It is in Christ. But number two, please listen very carefully. Salvation is in the church of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Salvation is in Christ. Salvation is in the church of Christ. What do I mean when I say the church of Christ? I'm not talking about a denomination. The church that I read about in Scripture is pre-denominational. It is non-denominational. I'm talking about the church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew 16, 18. Built upon that bedrock, state, that bedrock statement that Peter made that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus promised to build the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. That means it belongs to Him. He paid for it with His blood, Acts 20, verse 28. When I use that expression, the church of Christ, what I'm saying is, it is the church that belongs to Christ. Well, how many churches are there? I mean, I look around in the religious world, and I see a lot of different churches. They wear different names. They practice different doctrines. Is it possible that they're all right? Are they all wrong? Is any right? Well, how would I know that? How do I know what church is authorized by God to exist today? I've got to go back to the New Testament, don't I? Now, the Bible says there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. The body is defined by Paul in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church. Listen to Him. Which is His body. The church is the blood-bought body of Jesus. If the church is the blood-bought body of Jesus, then that means those of us who are a part of the church are a part of that blood-bought body. Well, how then do we become a part of that body? We do what they did in the first century. We obey the gospel. So you, are you saying then that if I'm not in Christ, I'm not a Christian? That's exactly right. Are you saying if I'm not in the church of Christ, I'm not a child of God? That's exactly right. Now again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a church that was founded by any man. What I'm saying is, unless you're in the church that you read about in Scripture, you're not in the right church. Because the blood is in the church. 
And the only way you contact the church is by being baptized into Christ. So you're trying to tell me then that I've got to be in that exclusive body, that only body to be saved. Well, don't take my word for it. You remember in Acts 2, verse 38, when Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. The Bible says in verse 41, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. In verse 47, Luke said, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were saved. All right? Who then were the saved? Those who were in the church. Well, who then were in the church? Those who had been baptized into Christ. You mean then that the saved are in the church? That's exactly right. Only the saved are in the church? Are you saying that only the saved are in that one body? Again, don't take my word for it. You listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 23. And he is the Savior of the body. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1, 18. Now look, in this day of political correctness, in a day and time when people want to say things like, hope so, think so, maybe so, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you exactly what the Bible says. You know why? Because God's going to judge me on the basis of what I teach and what I do not teach. I don't want people to stand before God in eternity and say, you know what? He never told me that salvation was exclusive to the church of Christ. Don't leave here today thinking that salvation is in any denominational body. It is not. There is not a denomination on this earth today wherein the saved reside. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now don't get mad. Don't get upset. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here in any way to make you angry. But I am here to tell you what the truth says. And truth is truth, and it does not change. And listen, we're going to be judged on the basis of divine truth. There will not be one manual, there will not be one confession of faith, not one catechism opened on that final day. But I can tell you what will be opened. The Word of the living God. So my question to you today, Number one, are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, you are automatically in the church of Christ. You don't vote, you're not voted into the church. You don't join the church. The Lord adds you to the church. The world says you can be saved separate and apart from the church. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the saved are in the church. Why? Because that's where the blood is. The blood that you enjoy the benefits from today, physically speaking, where is that blood? In your body or out of your body? It's in your body, isn't it? So where then are the benefits and blessings of the blood of Christ today? In the body. Salvation where? In Christ. Salvation in the church of Christ. I make no apologies for telling the truth. And I want you to be my friend and I want you to like me. 
But my goal is to preach and teach the truth of Almighty God. As a fellow said one time, if it hairlips every cow in Texas, so be it. Truth is truth. So my prayer is that we would listen to what the truth says. If you're not in Christ and not in the church of Christ, obey the gospel today. Don't lose your soul. If you don't understand what I've said, then please come to me after services. I'll be happy to sit down and talk to you more. I'll be happy to answer any question you have. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be and you need the prayers of the church, I'll be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.